Hey guys, thanks for tuning into Lawology, the study of me, a podcast about the black experience presented through the eyes of your favorite ratchet womanist, me. The word of the day is chauvinist. All about my autonomy The things that I believe The way that I perceive Yeah, I'm a womanist Yeah, I be talking-ish About whatever comes to mind Yeah, I be doing this With words of the day Now I ain't come to play Monogamy, equality I got a lot to say Breaking the mold It never gets old Of racism, sexism Yeah, I'm real bold Brooklyn raised me LA to change me But my bad experiences They never phase me You can call me Dr. Black Yeah, and that's a fact Got two degrees, they were a breeze, and now I'm going back I'm in anthology, doctorate of philosophy A world of poetry, yeah, I be flowing B Come on and study me, welcome to my holiday Hey, you guys, welcome back to Laology. How have you all been? Are you good? Are you great? Are you okay? Do you not know? But you know what I know? My theme song is Poppin'. And if you would like a theme song, if you would like a video shoot, if you would like a song created, just some studio time, please link up with my brothers, Jael and Jordan of Dope Norteria. They are amazing. They did that beat for me. Um, yes, I did write my own bars. Ain't no ghostwriters here. But everything else, they were ever to, able to do that. The sound bites, all of that. So please, 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 please contact Dope Norteria at, um, at sign D-O-P-E-N-O-R-T-E-R-I. You can find them on Facebook as well as Instagram, and they will be more than happy to work with you. Uh, Yeah. So, I have a lot on my mind. Um, There's a lot going on in the world. And I notice it. I'm observing it. I think people are starting to see it. But what are we going to As I said before, the word of the day is chauvinist, and I just want to tell y'all what I think. Uh, BTW. Um, yeah. So, I was about to say something, but I'm going to save that for later. But yes, you guys, I want to talk about chauvinist, the chauvinist, which can be male or female. I want to talk about misogyny. And a couple of people that I feel fits into that category. So, let's get right into it. The Lannis. A chauvinist is a person who believes one gender is superior than the other. And so, you guys, the world that we live in, maybe not even the world because I haven't experienced the whole world, but the country that we are affiliated with, 
I believe, and I mean, this is not far-fetched. It is a very patriarchal society. Um, Most recently, within the past couple of weeks, things have been happening that just have been blowing my mind. And so, um, as you all know, and I'll say this forever and ever and ever, I am getting my PhD in Africana Women's Studies and English. English being primary, Africana Women's Studies being secondary. And every single week I read out of these books and I get really sad. And like low key, I, I, I wouldn't say I've been in it all the way, but I've kind of slipped into a depression. The depression of knowing that as a black woman, if you really think about it and you don't have to think hard, we really, 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 I'm not even going to say we, I'm going to, I'm going to divert it. And I'm going to say you all, matter of fact, I'm going to say it even better. All I want to say is that they don't really care about us. That's a little Michael Jackson for y'all. And so the reason why, so I've, I've, I've written down this topic already, but I just wanted to collect some data and, you know, and it sucks so much because I didn't even have to go through history to find data because as I lived my life, data was created. And so two things I want to talk about as it pertains to chauvinist or chauvinistic behavior, um, with male, because as I said before, females can be chauvinist as well. And I'm not negating that. And I'm not saying that we are not, as a matter of fact, before I even talk about males, one, um, aspect of female chauvinism that I think exists is the feminist movement. I don't mean womanism. I don't mean um, Africana womanism. I don't mean African womanism. Literally feminist. We talked about it last week or um, the last episode, me and Kaidi. So y'all can go back and listen to that so you can get the differentiation from the different feminisms, feminisms and womanisms. But I think feminist and at its original definition feminists are chauvinists so before the men say okay well you're a woman so you're being biased i said it feminists are chauvinists okay moving right along so this week a couple of things have or over the past couple of weeks a few things have happened so first i would like to mention or speak about T.I. Then I'm going to talk about um, the sweetheart at Clark Atlanta University whose life was taken. And lastly, I would like to talk about the movie Love Jones. So that's T.I., Alexis Crawford, and Love Jones. So in history with T.I., over the last couple of weeks. So you probably all have heard that T.I. said on his podcast, Expeditiously, that he um, basically takes his daughter, who is now 18, to the gynecologist and basically makes the doctor tell him if her hymen has been broken. So I definitely won't tarry on this too long because I, I just feel like everybody should know that this is insane. And I do believe, I will say this, I believe not saying that I agree or disagree. Let me just go ahead and put that out there. 
I believe in women's rights, so let's just say that. Um, I think that people who believe that it is okay for T.I. to be at the colleges with his daughter and demand to know the results of if her hymen is intact or not um, is the same type of person or people who believe that abortion should be illegal. I'm going to say that again. I believe the people who agree with T.I. and think that it's okay to go to the gynecologist with your daughter to see if she has had sex or not is the same type of person or people who believe that women should not have the right to have abortions. Now, I want to let y'all think about that and whatever you will is what you will. But there is such a systematic and like just dark layer of oppression on women as a whole, black, white, brown, Puerto Rican, and Haitian, it don't matter who you are, we want hip hop nation. Quote from Cheetah Girls, black women, it just it's just crazy at the behavior and the treatment that we that we have to digest. And so with T.I. in that situation, I'm like, okay, well, I want to listen to the podcast to see what exactly he said so I can hear the content. So, mind you, and I'm, I'm saying directly, I did not see the video. I did, like, or, like, hear the podcast. But I did see some statuses, and I seen other people comment on it, blah, 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 blah. But even outside of the video, because I did not see it or hear it on his podcast myself, I listened to his podcast, and he was talking to Too Short. Now, Too Short is a rapper from back in the day who, um, I was going to say the 20th century. That's funny. But, like, in the 80s or 90s, I suppose, he's from California. And he kind of, um, what's the word? I don't want to say he made it okay, but he capitalized in the rap industry off of pimps and hoes, if you will. And so he talks about pimps and hoes and... Basically, during this conversation that he's having with Too Short, he's saying, you know, well, I don't see nothing wrong with pimping. Some people, they want to pimp. Some, you know, like, it's all right. What's the problem? Like, if a woman want to be up, be pimped or if she want to be a hoe, that's her derogative. That's her um, prerogative. I say derogative. Um, That's her prerogative. If she wants to have sex for money and I'm the person that's able to help her do that, hey, it's a lucrative business. And as I was listening to that episode, I was just so disgusted. And he was saying, you know, we're, we're the pimps without the suits. And that just took me, and some some people may say that is different. But matter of fact, this is good. Some people may say that is different, but I'm going to break it down to you. So basically, remember when I talked about the culture of dissemblance? Black women... And this also goes for transgender women as well. Black women, I believe, nobody wants to be a stripper. Nobody wants to be a prostitute. But the way how, and I hate to say it, but I have to, the way how the system is geared against the black woman We have to do what we have to do. So, therefore, we find resilience and toughness and, you know, all of those things through these actions. But if we did not have to do that, we would not do it. And so, for me, this definitely touches personally to me. And I never, uh, I'm not talking about prostitution in this instance, but 
when I graduated with my master's in May, I had been applying for jobs way before I graduated since like maybe October of 2018. Nobody was calling me and I was working in Smoothie King and I was just like, oh my God, like I can't, I just can't. So then um, I ended up quitting Smoothie King before graduation and long story short, I was about to become a stripper and period pool. Like that's all I, that's all I can say. And it's not the fact that I necessarily wanted to strip. It's not the fact that I just felt like, oh, my body is so perfect. People want to, you know, lust over me or want it. It's, I just felt vulnerable. I felt desperate. And I felt like, why is nobody hiring me? I have a whole master's degree. What is happening right now? And I I, I, I feel like it's very um, appropriate to equate that analogy to decisions. Now, I'm not going to say that some people don't want to strip, and I'm not going to say some people don't want to prostitute, but I do think that uh, psych, psych, uh, what is that word? I think that psychologically that's been embedded in us. That's been like, you know, the the thing that allows us to know like, okay, well, we're going to make money this way. Nobody wants to prostitute. Like, who does that? And I'm not judging. I'm not saying it like that, you guys, but in the in the respect of chauvinist as it pertains to T.I. in Too Short, I'm just giving a progression of how it got this way. Okay, so we talked about his daughter. Oh, so, okay, so even with that, we talked about his daughter. We talked about him in Too Short. So I like to listen to a couple of podcasts. Um, my favorites right now are, not in any particular order, Righteous and Ratchet, The Friend Zone, Amanda Seals, Small Doses. And so as I was listening to Small Doses, um, Amanda Seals really um, just brought up these two words that I thought would fit perfectly with the T.I. situation. Although she did equate it to Kanye West, as I began to listen to, and not only did I listen to the Too Short episode, you know, I also listened to his, his episode. I listened to his podcast to kind of get a full view on my opinion of him and the things that he says. And so for me, I'm not saying that T.I. is not intelligent or he doesn't know big words or that his vocabulary isn't sufficient, but I don't think that it is sincere. I definitely think that it's a gimmick. And here we go. So Amanda Sills talk, talks about the difference between an attention seeker and an iconoclast. She calls Kanye West an attention seeker. And I call T.I. an attention seeker. An attention seeker is a person who behaves in a way that is likely to elicit attention, usually to elicit validation from others. And it doesn't necessarily have to be validation. It could be just to strike up an argument. Like you want to be so in the scene, in the know, that you just doing stuff at this point. And no, stop that. Stop just doing stuff. Stop just doing stuff. And so an attention seeker is a person who behaves in a way that is likely to elicit attention, usually to elicit validation from others. Um, and a iconoclast is a person who attacks cherished beliefs, traditional institutions, etc., as being based on error or superstition. 
It's also a breakup of or destroyer of images, especially those up for religious veneration. And so to me, an iconoclast is a person who does things that are against the norm or against the grain, but it's to solve a problem or to get a specific or particular point across. It's for a meaning, it's for a definition, it's for um, the betterment of whatever that situation is. So therefore, basically iconoclasts are those who usually start revolutions. So they do the thing that is opposite of what people are doing, but in the grand scheme of things is to change the mindset of others. So I believe T.I. is an iconoclast. And I'm not going to really go too much further onto that. Y'all can listen to And maybe I'm getting him views or whatever. But y'all can go ahead and listen to his episode or episodes to see, you know, what you all think about that. What's your opinion of that? And now we're about to move on to the Alexis Crawford story. Okay, so although these two words are not completely the same in definition, they do um, assimilate with one another. And so as it pertains to the Alexis Crawford story, I want to talk about misogyny. Um, Wherever you are, if you're listening, if you're not in Georgia, Alexis Crawford was a senior at Clark Atlanta University. And I'm telling you the story as uh, I have read it online, as I've heard about it in school, etc. So Alexis Crawford, I believe that that is her name. I'm like 97% sure. She was a senior at my alma mater and current institution, Clark Atlanta University. And, and sorry, my voice has like gotten completely calm because this story, it saddens me. So anyway, reports say that she lived with her roommate. I mean, she lived with her best friend who was her roommate. They did not stay on campus. Um, A variation of reports basically say that the roommate's boyfriend sexually assaulted her slash raped her. Um, she made a police report and four days after the police report, she was found dead in a park and the roommate and her boyfriend confessed, you know, that they did it. I don't know who did what, I don't know to extent of what happened, but you know, she is no longer with us. Um, CAU just had a visual for her on Sunday. And so with that being the case, the reason why I wanted to bring up chauvinism, misogyny, you know, all of those things is because even now in school, on the news, in the reports, they emphasize the fact that she was found dead, obviously. They emphasize the fact that they know who killed her. They also emphasize the fact that she died four days after she had made a police report about being raped or sexually assaulted. They also say that they administer a rape kit on her. But they don't emphasize the fact that her life could have been saved if things 
were resolved within those four days. Now, what I'm saying is when she made the police report, obviously it's her roommate's boyfriend. She knows him. You know what I mean? Like, this is not a stranger. She probably has his number. She knows his full name. She probably knows where he stay. You know, she knows a good deal about him so that, especially if she presses charges or press charges, I don't know that, but she knew a good deal about him. And so I've definitely, definitely, definitely experienced this because when I had a stalker, you guys, that happened at the beginning of the year. I'm gonna, And then I'm going to say I made the police report probably in February. This uh, organization called me. I can't remember the name, but they wanted they provide counseling. So they're like, okay, Miss Black, you're on the waiting list. You know, it's going to take a few weeks. So, you know, we'll just keep in touch with you. I'm like, okay. They called me back in March, April, May, May or June. Miss Black, we still have you on the waiting list. Do you want to stay on the waiting list? I'm like, yes, please and thank you. They called me back in September and they're like, Miss Black, we're ready for you. And I'm like, bro, I was stalked in like from November to, well, eh, I guess we were dating in November. But from December to February, after I made the police report, I was being stalked. And it took y'all all the way up until September to provide counseling for me. And the reason why I, I declined the counseling, and I'm not even the one to complain, I did decline it, but that's because I was able to get a therapist from, I got a therapist in about April or May, I'm going to say May. And I worked with her. So when they called me, I was already dealing with those problems that I had, you know, occurred over that time, acquired, occurred, accumulated, I don't know, over that time. And so the reason why... I made emphasis when I first started by saying the country that we live in is very patriarchal, obviously. And so the life of a woman, and I can't even say that because when uh, the late, and sorry for being ignorant for not knowing her name, but Central Park 4, they called her the Central Park Jaga. When she was raped, they got them black boys with not even within three or four hours. Come on now. And they never got to go home. Once they got them, once they grounded up them kids, they never went home after that until, you know, they were released or whatever. But as a black woman, the same thing happens to her. You know what I'm saying? And she actually reports it. You know, the, the jogger, I don't think that she actually reported it because she was unconscious. So I don't think that she reported it. I think somebody found her. But literally, the black woman reported it. She said to herself, this is not right. My life is more valuable than this. I should not have to be treated like this. And I didn't give him the permission to do me this way. And not, in, not to agree with, you know, prostitution. Because as I talked about, Too Short was saying how women think that that's okay. We're not, we not even comparing that. But, you know, she stood up for herself, made the police report, and she still died. 
<laughs> like, I'm just so, and like over the last couple of days, I really feel like I kind of went back into a scary type of mindset as far as, you know, with my stalker, because more and more it's becoming reality to me that I could be taken. I could be sex trafficked or taken in for sex trafficking, whatever uh, way that I should have said that, but I could be killed. I could be raped. Somebody could follow me home. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like every day that's scary. Like even now me and my roommate, we share our locations with each other. And although we do have that system in place, where was the help when she asked for it? Or why do we always have to be put on a back burner? And even when I was in my AWS class on Tuesday, somebody was saying, you know, um, one of my classmates was saying her, somebody in her family, maybe her goddaughter or something, she was raped as well and she went to court. And the security guard said to her or said to them, you know, Basically, when it gets to this part right here, which is the part of going to court, women always be like, I love him. Or they be like, you know, I don't want to press charges anymore or whatever the case may be. And that could contribute to the reason why, you know, it's not really taken into consideration or it's not really rushed because they really are just waiting for us to say, no, don't do it. And so... From my experience with my stalker, because that's exactly what how I felt like, even when he found out that I made the uh, the restraining order against him, he calls me from a private number and he's like basically begging me to not press charges on him or to not take him to court. And I won't go into detail, but in that moment, as I'm on the phone with him, mind you, my former roommate, she's in her room, but I put the phone on speaker because I'm stuck. Like, this is a guy that I was dating. So, of course, I feel bad. And then it's like, you know, he has a family. I don't want to tell. I might take him away from his kids. Woo-dee-woo-dee-woo. And it's like, but he wasn't thinking about that when he was violating me. Come on. And that's that thing is just so, it's just so real to me. Because even, even, you know, the other day, um, I was talking to one of my brothers, and I don't know if I divulge this information on the show. So I'm not going to quite say it because I don't want it to be a surprise. But I will say, I was molested by family members as a child. And this Thanksgiving, you know, I've, I've been invited to come back home, go to New York. But I just don't have a desire to be there. And as I was talking to my brother and just kind of explaining it to him, and uh, yes, I did tell him, you know, what happened to me, what I experienced, but I did only tell them like a couple of years ago, but his words was family is family. And I, my, my thought was, well, where was that thought when I was being molested? Like where, where was, you know, I shouldn't do this to her. Not necessarily, not even. I shouldn't do this to her, one, because she don't want me to do this to her. It is not consensual. But two, this is my family. And I feel like black women, we always have to take on that. Like, you know, don't do this because, you know, you don't want to put a black man down in the community. But that means that he gets to do whatever he wants to do to me and I just have to accept it. I cannot. I can't. And I just really, 
wish that there was a way, and I'm going to figure it out, or I'm, I'm going to really devote my studies to, but we have to deconstruct, going back to last week's or the last episode, we have to deconstruct this center of male dominance, male privilege. And like I said, because I like to be fair, there are definitely some female privileges. And the definition of a privilege is just basically something that you can do and probably get away with or just do that somebody else that is not like you can't do. And that's it. And that's that's just the sad, unadulterated reality. And I'm sick of it. And I really pray for Alexis' family. I pray for the women on CAU campus because, mind you, I am in CAU now. And I don't have day classes with their undergrads. And it gets dark by, like, 530. So when I get to school, you know, it's on its way to being dark. By the time I leave... You know, there's no security. I am literally in fear for my life. And, you know, we try to kind of ignore it and be like, you know, that that was just like, wow, I'm sorry for that person in Alaska. Or, wow, I'm sorry in, for that person in Michigan. But, bro, I live in Atlanta. I go to the school that she went to. This is not a third world and I'm not saying that it wouldn't be serious if it's not third world, but what I am saying is when it's not up on, <coughs> excuse me, when it's not up on you and it's not in your face, you don't think that it can happen to you. And I just watched Abdu- Abdu- Abducted in Plain Sight for the first time. So I'm really tripping and maybe I'm not tripping. Maybe I have the correct amount of awareness or just, you know, energy towards the situation because it's not right. It's not right. So as I said, I am praying for Alexis Crawford. I think her name is. And if it's not, please forgive me, you guys. I really think that it is Alexis Crawford Um, or Alexis C. I definitely know that it is Alexis C. Yeah, Alexis Crawford. And so to end this all off, so we talked about T.I., and his views on women. Oh, and let me go to this. So at, at the beginning of the show, he says something like, this is like his introduction. Um, he's like, you know, people ask me, can I, can I do it all? You know, basically, can I be some type of renaissance man? He doesn't say those words, but, you know, they ask me if it's a gimmick or is this real? Like, how can I be, you know, a thug or a rapper, but then be a family man but then also be a ladies' man. And he was like, yeah, I could spit bars, but I could also kiss your wife, your girlfriend goodnight and then go tuck my kids into sleep. What type of philosophy is that? And you have a whole wife. I'm sad, y'all. And my significant other, shout out to you, babe, he be like, or most recently, so... Mind you, because I know y'all want to know, <laughs> I've known him like my whole life. I met him when I was in high school. So we just rekindled, you know, he's my first love, but we were little. So let's see what happens. But anyway, when I started my program, I was just praying like, Lord, you know, because I'm about to be overly steeped in blackness, black women history, give send me someone that understands. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause he gonna have to, and not even woke. Cause 
I don't know what y'all be talking about woke now. Like y'all, y'all be so woke that y'all be insomniac. Like y'all need some of y'all need to go to sleep. But I just like Lord, let somebody understand because as I'm learning and as I begin to grow, I need somebody that don't feel like I hate men or don't feel like that I'm that I'm emphasizing misandry, which is the opposite of misogyny. A woman who hates men or dislikes men. Let me see what this definition is. So it would be a woman who dislike has a dislike of or contempt for or is ingrained in prejudices against men. That's not what I am doing. And I know that as I talk to him, it for one, he is understanding. But just recently or more recently, he was like, dang, bae, like you be venting against N-words, you know? And I'm like, nah, I'm not venting. Or it's not that I'm hating. I'm just simply reading and I am observing and I'm making a dialect on my observation. And so this is the last thing that he and I spoke about. And I just pray that because I, and I told him like, okay, bro, this is only my first semester in, in PhD school. So the way that you feel, like, if you feel like I'm dogging out guys right now, which I am not, are you going to be able to take me for seven more semesters and then for the rest of our life? Because I'm only going to learn more. Period. <laughs> Y'all, I feel like I'm mad tight right now. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I said that in my heart. Like, period. But, nah. And it's crazy because you got to make yourself laugh in times like this because what is going on? So, lastly, Love Jones. Now, I've been asking... Okay, let me preface it with this. I've never seen Love Jones before until Tuesday. Okay, never seen Love Jones before until Tuesday. And so, that's one of the black movies that I have not seen. So, I've seen Why Do Fools Fall in Love. I've seen The Wood. I've seen Baby Kids. I've seen Love and Basketball. I've seen Boomerang. I've seen Tuka Play That Game. Like, all of those black movies, I've seen. The only two ones I didn't see or remember enough to see. Well, no, no. I was going to say this, Love Jones and Poetic Justice. But I did recently see Poetic Justice. It either was this year or last year. But I remember seeing it because they had went to a cookout. And then Tupac was like, family or cousin. So that's how I know I swear. Okay. Anyway, so as I was watching Love Jones, I kept, or even in real life, I always wonder what is the perception of Love Jones? Like, do people see Love Jones as like bagels? Like, that's a black romance. Like, you got to watch it. Or do people be like, oh, I want that Love Jones. Or do people be like, oh, you know how people be like, oh, love and basketball, that's the type of relationship I want. Do they equate their wanting and longing for a relationship like that emphasize and express their love jokes? And this is why I asked. So I took a survey on Facebook. I just asked, made a post, and everybody who responded were women. And they all loved it. Love Jones is my favorite movie. Um, I love to watch Love Jones or, you know, yeah, that's a good classic, you know. So I'm just going to assume that the question that I asked prior to the statement of how do people pre uh, reference Love Jones? Is it like Black Romance Bay? I love it. So even yesterday, I asked my classmates. One of my classmates, she's older than us. 
she was like, yeah, Love Jones is my favorite movie. And I'm like, sis, no, please, please. And of course it was written in the 90s. And so the reason why I asked this question is because I wanted to know if Love Jones was a hyperbole of the male and female relationship, meaning an exaggeration. Like, is he? Is the, was the author trying to get a point across? Like, this is not what you're supposed to do? Or is he so chauvinistic in his mindset that the thing that he wrote was his reality? So let me break it down. So for those of you who have seen Love Jones, you can follow along. For those of you who have not, when you do see it, there's definitely a spoiler alert, so I am sorry. And you're probably going to only be able to see it through the lens of which I've created for you because, I mean, there's no other way to watch it, I feel. So, okay. Darius is the main character, who is Lorenz Tate. Nina is the co-main character, or co-star, if you will, that is Nia Long. So the movie commences at a bar, but it's like a poetry slam. And I also feel some type of way because literature is supposed to be, or from things that I've been reading in my literary criticism class, you know, even my AWS class, some people think that literature is for men. That's why even in the canon, the um, literary canon, you don't see a lot of women writers it's mainly men. And if you do see a man, it might be, I mean, if you do see a woman, it might be Emily Dickinson or like something like that. It's for sure, ain't black women. So we had to create our own canon. So you will see people like um, Clenora Hudson Wings in there, Patricia, Patricia Hill Collins, uh, Alice Walker, Toni Morrison. Um, who else? Maya Angelou. You will see them in a canon. But let's think about it. And my teacher told me this. Shout out to you, Dr. Sears. What does a canon look like? And the first thing that comes to your head, or second, don't feel like it's inappropriate because it's definitely correct. If you look at it, a canon, including the, the rope that has to be burned, the wheels on the side, and the actual canon, it looks like a phallus. For those of you who do not know what the word phallus means, Please look it up. It's symbolizing men. This is for us. And then to get even more graphic, to let y'all know that I'm not dragging it, what does a a, a cannon do? It shoots out. What does a phallus do? It shoots out. So I don't know. I don't don't know any other way that they could have expressed that the cannon was for... It was it's a male dominated you know entity, and so anyway, saying that to say, in my uh, critique of Love Jones, I don't appreciate necessarily the fact that Lorenz Tate was to be or Darius. I'm sorry, Darius. I want to separate the artist from the artistry. He was smart. You know what I'm saying? He 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 was good with his words. He knew Shakespeare. He knew, you know, how to whatever. So even though at the end, Nina did do a poem, I just felt some type of way that that's what swooned her. <laughs> like, I know words too. So anyway, they're at the bar and 
Darius sees her, instantly he's attracted to her, but also his friend is attracted to her. So they kind of make a bet. Like, he's like, I'm going to go talk to her. And they're like, nah, bro, like, you're not going to get her. Long story short, he goes over there to her. He doesn't say anything directly, but he just makes himself known. She says the first thing to him. They have a conversation. She walks away like a cliffhanger. Then he goes and does his poem. The poem that he creates, um, I think he made it up on the spot, if I'm not mistaken, because he uses a phrase or, you know, he basically takes the conversation that they had and makes it the poem. Now, I did see this for the first time on Tuesday, so if I have some details incorrect, the major details that I'm trying to make a point off of, I know that I don't have that incorrectly. But the poem, I'm pretty sure that it was a poem that he made up because after they left and they were talking, um, her friend was like, oh, you use Nina's words. And he, he called it a, a old to Nina or whatever. Like, he dedicated to her. De- dedicated it to her. It was like blues in the eye. I don't know. Anyway, so while they were outside, you know, she was like, well, why? I know that you wrote about me or you spoke about me, but why did it have to be about sex? Red flag number one. He's like, well, what else would, would I have spoken about? <laughs> like, what other topics are there in the world? And she's like, what? So then she takes a pen out of his jacket and she takes his hand and he looks at his friends like, yeah, bro, I'm about to get her. And she writes the word love on it. We thought that she was going to give him her number, but she didn't. So kudos to you, sis. So moving right along. We thinking that they're about to talk about love. I mean, talk about the number. The next scene, his friend who was at the club with him, who was a, a woman, like among the other people, she works at a record store. He goes to the record store. I don't really know how it was set up because I was cooking while I was watching it, blah, blah, blah. But I know he's in the record store. And whoop, who do we see? Nina. So they're in the record store. You know, he's trying to talk to her. She's looking for a CD, but she can't find it. And he's like, well, let me play something for you. He turns something on, you know, and and so I'm even, and I, I don't want to be offended, but it's like, you know, he's, he's well-rounded. So that's what we like. So he's educated because he knows big words, you know, and I'm not trying to be facetious, but let, let me cut that out. I'm sorry I said that. He's educated, you know, he's into culture he's into music he knows old stuff like you know what i'm saying like she's really feeling him so she pays for her stuff. so they're talking she he pays she pays for her stuff and then she's about to leave out so he goes behind her, he's like nina can i get your like i would like to talk to you whatever whatever can i get your number she's like uh it's not a good time so he's like all right boom so he goes back inside the store or whatever she leaves and then she like stops in her foot steps or stops on her track. She turns around like she's about to go back. And then she thinks about it. And she turns back around. She continues to go. This is where it all went downhill for me. And I could not really enjoy the rest of the movie. He goes back inside. And so I guess. And I'm not trying to be funny either. Because I was born in 94. So I really don't. I wouldn't know. Because I didn't start really having money. Until I was like 14, 15. That was my own money. And we had bank cards by then. So anyway. He goes into the back into the record store, and he says to his friend, I forgot her name, like, yo, bestie, give me her address. And she's like, what? And he like, let me see the check. Oh, the point is, she paid for her stuff with, with a check. So he's like, let me see the address. So the friend, who's also a black woman, is like, bro, like, I can't do that. And then next thing you know, the next scene, he is up for door at night. And she didn't invite him. 
Not only did she not invite him, but when he asked her for her number, she rejected him. Now, I don't know about y'all, and I'm yelling now because I'm tight. That's too much. Think about it in society today. If a guy tried to talk to you, y'all was at the mall, some public, you know what I'm saying, and then you go home and you knock on the door and this man is at your door. I don't care if he got your wallet or what. Like, okay, maybe he had your wallet. That's one thing. But now now, now I'm skeptical because I'm like, well, how did you get it? Like, you know, did we bump into each other or, you know, whatever. So he pops up at her house, blah, blah, blah. So she's like, what are you doing here? Did you follow me home? He's like, of course not. Um, You know, I didn't follow you. I got your address from off of the check. He finally tells her the truth. So he's like, and I got the CD that you was looking for that they have. So she's like, oh, thank you. So she's about to like close the door. And he's like looking inside the house. Like, she's like, well, would you like to come in? Mind you, it's late outside. It's dark. He's like, oh, well, I'm not trying to be intrusive. She's like, no, no, it's okay. But the thing is, but you are being intrusive. Nobody asked you to be here. And it's just so crazy that you feel like as a man, you could just freaking show up at my house. Like, what? And it also sends the message, like, black woman, be happy that you're chose. Get out of here. Get out of here with that. And um, as I was driving Uber the other day, one of my clients, I don't know how we, not clients, sorry, customers, I don't know how we got to this, but he was just saying, you know, black women are so strong. Oh, he, it don't matter. He was like, black women are strong because, you know, a man can cheat on y'all and y'all go back. But if a woman cheat on us, it's going to be hard. And I said, that's pride. That's the ego thing. Because you feel like as a man, why wouldn't you want me? Like, I, I am me. Like, who, like what? You, you better want me. And not only you better want me because I'm so flea, but you, you better want me because I want you. So now if a woman cheat on you, now that's hurting your ego because you thought that you was the sugar honey iced tea. But the other hand, women always go back because, in my opinion, from, from what I've experienced, I'll just talk about myself, I don't always feel, I don't always feel wanted or beautiful or deserved. So therefore, if I'm not living up to my value and I'm cheating on subconsciously, I think that I deserve that. Or I think it's just a part of life. Like, this just happens. So I accept it, so I'm more likely to go to you because I have a lower self-worth than you do. Get out of here. And so, wait, let's go ahead and um, I'm about to finish this. Give me one second, you guys. So I just refuse to believe, and it's even hard to stand firm. Not even it's hard to stand firm, but it's hard to fully act out my belief because of the things that's going on in the world. Um, I stand strong in believing that we have to learn our worth. And as I just said, you know, we don't really understand our worth, which is why we accept the type of behavior and the things that we do. And we think that it's a part of life, but we don't understand that it's really toxic. And I'm not with it. So, he goes into her house. She, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm going to be intrusive. She's like, no, 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 come on, you know, whatever. So he's inside. They're talking. He's looking around, seeing what she has, um, making, you know, comments about the history, about stuff. So he makes a quote, and he said, 
blank, blank, blank said whatever, whatever, whatever. And she's like, no, actually, it's woo-dee-woo. So I'm like, okay, she know her stuff. And then he basically asks her out on a date again. Now, mind you, at this point, he's in her house. Like, so she's like, you know, you're persistent. Like, I told you no yesterday, but you're going to ask again? What if I say no again? And he's like, well, if you say no, I'm going to just come back next week and then the week after that and the week after that and the week after that. And she smiles like, oh, you going to come to my... No, let it in work. Let me tell. Let me take a pause. So basically, and I think I I might have mentioned this in an early episode last year, um, around Christmas time, I believe, and I wasn't even talking to this guy. This is this is around the time of me knowing my stalker, but it wasn't him. It was somebody else. As a matter of fact, it was my neighbor. So when my neighbors moved next to me. It's two, well, it was two brothers and they whole situation in my business, but they used to be outside. So one of the brothers, whenever I would come home, he would always be outside. Maybe he knew my schedule. I don't know. I'm not thinking that hard. He'd be like, hey, neighbor. And I'd be like, hey, you know, whatever. And so we spoke on certain occasions, but it wasn't romantic. It wasn't even platonic. It was neighborly, definitely. And so after a while, I noticed that their blinds used to be open. And when I used to park my car, by the time I get out my car, he would be outside. Okay. Red flag number one. So it was a Saturday morning. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I just hear somebody banging on my door. Now, mind you, it's like six o'clock in the morning. And sometimes I have to take my goddaughter to school around that time. So I hear the banging on my door and my phone was dead, I believe. So I was kind of astonished, like shocked, like, you know, I'm thinking that is my goddaughter, basically. And I think like a couple of days before that, it was real, it was late at night. I was on the phone with my friends and he knocked on my door. And I think he was like, let's chill. Or I don't really know. I can't remember, but I know, I definitely know it was two separate, separate events. So the first one, I'm like, yo, like, what are you doing? It's mad late. I don't even remember the time. I think it was like two o'clock in the morning, but I could be dragging it. It was either two or 12. And he was like, no. And I'm like, well, no, don't. Don't do that. So, and I think I only had a little fire under my feet because I was on the phone with my friend. So I felt protected. So anyway, let's go back to the Saturday. So banging on my door, I go downstairs and I see him. I open the door. I don't have a peephole. We don't have peepholes. I open the door and apparently, or obviously he's drunk. So I'm like, what are you doing? And the sun is up at this time. And he was like, you know, I was drinking, whoop-dee-whoop-dee-woo. And I'm like, do you not see what time it is? And I only knew the time because I had a watch on. I'm like, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, don't bang on my, don't knock on my door before 12 p.m. and after 6 p.m. Because you're old then. And when I said that to him, he just was so shocked. Like, how could you tell me that? Like... He, he act like we knew each other. Like, he was my best friend and I was curving him. No, y'all, I, I did not know this man. 
And at this point, I'm tight. So I go to the leasing office. I tell them, you know, um, but even before that, so when I send him away, obviously I probably got him tight because he lives literally right next to me. And so the townhouses are connected. And when he goes inside his house, he starts a fight with his brother. He starts fighting, and all I hear is the girl in there like, call the police, call the police. And for a second, I felt like I caused that. Like, well, all I had to do was just let him in. No, you're not coming in my house. No, no, no. And whatever you decide to do once you go to your house, that's your business. But I can't say I haven't seen him since that particular event. <sighs> These guys, y'all. Y'all really be doing what y'all want. Like, it's just so crazy to me. And then once we speak up, and I'm not even trying to be funny or make a joke out of it, but out of it. But like once we speak up, even with my stalker, when I spoke up, I was scared. Like, I'm like, yo, and I worked that Smoothie King in the mall in the kiosk. So I'm like, yo, I don't anybody could come, walk up to me and mace me, slash my face, hit me. Like this is an open area. Like people just don't think about it. Even when I made the police report, there was no how how would they know that I am safe? There's no police officer walking with me or going with me everywhere I go. So anyway, so she said, so he's like, okay, well, my friends are going out or we having a kickback, whatever the case may be, whatever the 90s lingo is, you should come. So she finally gives in. She says, okay. So she goes, whatever. They leave. And I don't know if they go back to her house, but the night is about to be over. So he's like, um... Oh, well, what do you got to do for the rest of the night? And, of course, she's like, nothing. So he's like, um, well, I want to go to this reggae spot. But mind you, she says, it's late. And you want to drop all the way up there to the reggae spot? He's like, yeah. She gets on. She goes with him. Then he drives her back home. Mind you, he got a moped. He drives her back home. And then they both get off the bike. They start talking. They stand in front of her loft or whatever. And then, you know. As it be going, sometimes they start kissing. So then he plays it off like, you know what, Nina? I shouldn't do this. I should leave. She's like, I think you're right. He walks to his moped. She turns around and walks to the door. He turned back around like, Nina, I just really want to talk. So they start smiling. I think they start kissing again. And then the next scene is, y'all, they in her bed having sex. Like, this is not toxic to y'all or confusing or... What? If if y'all didn't do what at any point in this episode, we need to question your uh, devotion and care about black women because that's not normal. And granted, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say hooking up on a first date is not regular. Or I don't want to say regular because I don't want I don't want to make that regular. But I mean I'm not gonna act like it doesn't happen. So that that could have been where that mind or that where that part of the movie was being portrayed. But that could that could happen, but not with all the stuff that happened prior to that. Like if I if me myself personally, if I'm about to just hook up with somebody after the first date. And I'm not justifying it. That's why it's so hard to talk about it. But I, I just would like to say that I would know a little more about them. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's never or uh, I'm shutting up. 
that but let's just be let's just say my decisions that I have made before other than my stalker a lot of my decisions were made because I wanted to make those decisions let's just say that but guys that I hooked up with on our first date I didn't they didn't follow me home to get that date you know what I'm saying like I voluntarily gave them my number when they asked for my number I gave it to them we talked for a little while maybe a week or two or a few weeks then we decided to go out if our schedules matched and then if we did something after that it definitely was after a level of comfort or trust, if you will. Maybe not even trust, discomfort or horniness. I don't know. But it wasn't, he didn't force his way, whoever he may have been. So I'm going to just stop that because I'm trying to explain stuff to y'all. Ain't any of y'all business. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, so now the rest of of the movie kind of progresses regularly. You know, they, after that, you know, they start dating. They like each other. Then Nina's ex-husband comes around. He invites her to New York. She tries to see if Darius is going to be mad if she goes. Her friend gives her advice. If he mad when you go, you stay. If he act like he don't care that you're going, then you go. So he act like, you know, just trying to, and I don't want to say be a man, but I, I won't say that. I'll say being nonchalant. He was like, oh, go have fun. Do your thing, chicken wing. Like, all right, see you when you get back. She went to go see her ex-husband. I mean, her ex-fiance. And while she was gone, he started banging with somebody else. And then, so then the then the actual, I guess, uh, what's the words I'm looking for? Like the climax of the movie takes place. Like this is really the point of the movie, but it has to go through all that background. And even I feel like even the parts that I've described, maybe it wasn't meant to be written that way. Maybe it was just rushed because I don't feel like what I described to you was a major part of the movie. I felt like it was just they needed us to get it. They needed to get us from them not having each other's number to them being in a relationship. I think the point of the movie was her going back to her husband. I mean, her fiance, ex-fiance, and then them finding their way back to each other. That's the whole crux of the movie. But I couldn't really receive that because... This man followed her home. Well, stole her address. And then she had the nerve to say, you know, she did says, you know, and I guess this was supposed to be the the escalation of it. After she agrees to go on a date with him, she's like, well, if you decide to, whenever you decide to come back or whatever the case may be, make sure you call me before you come. She's like, because I know you copied the phone number from off the check as well. So he made that face like, oh, you caught me. But it's like, what? This is not okay. And so, you guys, that was the story time for misogyny. I know that I've talked about a lot of things, and it may seem like I've kind of crushed it together. I talked about chauvinist or chauvinism, chauvinistic behavior, misogyny, male misogyny, um, and male chauvinism. And we talked about the attention seeker and the iconoclast. And so, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Law-isms. So, what are we going to do about male privilege? Because <laughs> when it all boils down, that's what this episode is about. As a matter of fact, I should have made male privilege the word of the day, opposed to the chauvinist. Because male privilege is the umbrella. Chauvinism, misogyny... 
and all of those other things are under the spectrum or in the spectrum of male privilege. Hmm. So what are we going to do about male privilege, you guys? And it's really tricky because, of course, as a woman, people would say that I am being biased, you know? Um, And even in the reverse, what are we going to do about black women's lives? And honestly, I don't have an answer. Like, I don't quite have an answer. I'm really lost for words. Um, I, I, I am working on a solution in my dissertation. Obviously, it's not done yet. This is my first semester. But I have been working on Chapter 1, trying to figure out some solutions. And I'm still working through those theories. But what are we going to do? Do we have to start a movement that says my life matters or women's life matter? Or, you know, we already did the Me Too movement. And I'm not saying it in a condescending way. I'm saying, like, we have the Me Too movement. What else do we need to kind of deconstruct, back to the last episode, these principles and these uh, placements that women have been put? Black women. So, if y'all got a solution, let me know. Maybe we can start an organization or, you know, because this is not... It's not. And a matter of fact, let me let me try to take a jab at it. I feel like one way to end male privilege is to blank, blank, blank. And do I want to even be more specific to black men? Because I was talking about black men this whole time. But then if I say let's end black male privilege, then you will say that I'm trying to oppress the black man. You see why this is so hard? Because it's such a downward spiral. Um, One thing that I did write in my paper is that the system of patriarchy was never created for the black man. And I don't necessarily agree with patriarchy. I don't think that that's a good thing. But patriarchy was never created for the black man so now the black man is in a place that he was never intended to be so therefore the black woman has to deal with things that were never intended for her so once the black man understands that patriarchy is not a system where he belongs or that was even intended for him then maybe maybe as it pertains to relationships with black women black male privilege or black misogyny or black chauvinism will be shifted because they will understand that our value is equal. And even, you know, before feminism was created, as I told y'all last week, feminism wasn't created for black women because we already was equal to our men. So now our man is trying to attain or achieve something that he's never going to get, which causes us to be hurt in the end. And so we need therapy. That's my solution. I love y'all and catch y'all later.